The Lifestylist, episode 65, featuring Joe Piazza. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. You are listening to part two in a two-part interview with our guest, Joe Piazza. Don't forget to go back in the time machine to catch part one of this fantastic interview. Do you, the listener of this podcast, take this show to be your lawfully wedded husband or wife? We're going to find out in today's episode because we're talking to Joe Piazza, author of a fantastic new book called How to Be Married. So Joe is a fantastic guest. This is a really funny episode. Uh, she basically tells the story in her book of how she met a guy in the Galapagos Islands, ended up marrying him three months later, and then spent the first year of her marriage traveling around the world exploring what marriage means to different people in different cultures. Really funny and fascinating story. So during the course of this year and the book, she interviews hundreds of people, civilians and experts all over the world, and finds out what it takes to create a healthy marriage from the beginning rather than the current model of trying to fix it once it goes downhill. So there's tons of experts and books about like how to save your marriage, but we talk about how to like create a good marriage from the beginning rather than have a shitty one that you have to fix later. So some of the things we cover in this episode are as follows. The different customs in different countries and cultures when it comes to marriage, such as arranged marriages in India, open marriages in France, and polygamy in Kenya. Joe goes into some great detail about how the different people around the world approach marriage and monogamy and all of those types of things and discovers what works for people and what does not. We also talk about some of the weirdest customs she discovered in her journey. Very fascinating stuff. And then we ask the question, the proverbial question, is the Western American model of marriage realistic? You know, the whole part, till death do us part, is that really like, uh, is that something we can actually follow through with? And where did that come from? Turns out that you'll be quite surprised as to the origin of that part of our marriage vows and why it was put in there in the first place. How important it is to have the same financial habits and values. You do not want to get married to someone that does not spend or save in the same way that you do, or you're probably going to end up having a divorce. Womp womp. And also the same goes for discussing how you want to raise your kids and even how you want to give birth to those kids and the type of process that you want to take place from the beginning of their life through their adulthood. What are some of the most common mistakes people make when selecting a mate? How do long-distance relationships work, and why do they sometimes have a better chance due to the fact that you don't get to go crazy having sex with each other and make stupid decisions? And how long does it take to really get to know someone? I mean, really get to know them. That question will be answered. And how important is it that your lifestyle, interest, and preferences align? You know, do you have to have the same hobbies? It turns out Joe's husband, Nick, was like a huge outdoors person, and she hated that, and she was from the city, and then she sort of learned to adapt to that to a degree, but maybe not to the degree that he's into it, and he's had to make some compromises too. So what are the things that we should be compromising on or not? How do we deal with our petty differences and get used to living with someone? And then what about the whole idea of monogamy? You know, is that actually realistic and can we do it? And some of the most important communication tools. Uh, Joe talks about something in her book that we explore called the five-minute exercise, which is genius. 
And then finally, we get into the whole piece about how does modern feminism fit into a healthy long-term relationship? And how do you keep that polarity of the masculine and feminine going while still remaining equals? One great thing that she learned along the way that I really love and we talk about in this episode is a woman she met in one of those countries and the woman's advice to her, and she'd been happily married for a long time, was let the man lead. Let him think he's in charge. If you decide to allow it, then you are the one in charge, which I thought was really cute and actually probably pretty smart. So we talk a lot about that and just how we can get along and create equality, but still have a dynamic, interesting relationship. So if you are someone who's planning on getting married soon or someday, this This is an episode you want to listen to because Joe brings tons of value to this interview, and I'm really excited to share it with you, and I hope that it enriches your life and enables you to find and stay with the one that you love for as long as it's meant to be. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends over at Organifi.com. Really excited about this product. I've been using it for a few months, and I've got to say, they are revolutionizing the green juice game. So you probably know that green juice is good for you, right? We see them like in 7-Eleven now and airport convenience stores. That's awesome. I'm all for it. But there's a couple of issues with green juice that I find troubling. A is a lot of times they come in plastic. B, they're loaded with sugar up to 25 grams sometimes, which is insane. That's like a green Coke. But the main thing is they're just really inconvenient. They're not good for travel. Organifi has solved that problem by creating these single serving packets of a really easy to mix, easy to use green juice superfood blend. It's loaded with 11 superfoods. It's got chlorella, wheatgrass, spirulina, mint, turmeric, moringa, ashwagandha, lemon, beets, matcha green tea, coconut water. Best of all, it's sweetened with monk fruit, which is a really low glycemic sugar. So it's not going to spike your blood sugar, which essentially drains you of energy, makes you crash, and ultimately could also make you fat because you don't want to be having a high sugar drink. It just is not good. So these guys make this amazing tasting, super powerful green juice powder. It also comes in a tub if you just want to have one at home. It's by far the tastiest one that I've found. There's a lot of superfood green blends around. And to be honest, a lot of them just taste gross and they don't mix well and they're just not convenient to travel with. You'd have to like make a Ziploc bag full of some green powder. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to be traveling through the airport security and get caught with one of those. So if you want to check it out, I highly recommend that you do. And I've also got a little discount for you, of course. All you do is go to Organifi.com. That's spelled with an I, Organifi.com. Enter the code LIFESTYLIST and you will save 20% off your order. It's a pretty sweet deal. So again, go to Organifi.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST and you will save 20%. Check it out. A massive part of my health strategy is the ingestion on a regular basis of medicinal herbs and medicinal mushrooms. And my primary source for those is a company called Four Sigmatic. If you remember way back in the day in episode eight, I had a guest by the name of Taro Isakapula from this company. And we talked all about the power of these amazing herbs and mushrooms. Well, Four Sigmatic do a great job of making them not only potent, but also convenient and delicious. So they make these little packets of herbs that you add to hot water, cold water, or bulletproof coffee, whatever your recipe is. I make them with all kinds of different stuff all the time. It makes a really easy way to get this stuff into your body. And these are herbs that have a real effect on you. It's very powerful stuff. So go to foursigmatic.com, but wait, I'm gonna hook it up. When you get to foursigmatic.com, Enter the code THELIFESTYLIST at checkout to save 15% off your order. So you can get things like reishi mushrooms, chaga mushrooms, cordyceps, lion's mane, ashwagandha, all the good stuff that really works. So go to foursigmatic.com, enter the code THELIFESTYLIST, and save 15% off your order. 
Joe Piazza is an award-winning journalist and best-selling co-author of the novel The Kickoff. Her work has appeared in The Wall Street Journal, New York Times, New York Magazine, Glamour, Elle, Time, Marie Claire, The Daily Beast, and Slate. She's also the author of the critically acclaimed Celebrity, Inc., How Famous People Make Money, and If Nuns Ruled the World, Ten Sisters on a Mission. She holds an undergraduate degree in economics from the University of Pennsylvania, a master's in journalism from Columbia University, and a master's in religious studies from New York University. She lives in San Francisco with her husband, Nick, and their giant dog. Okay, so back to the arranged marriage thing. There was something about that that I wanted to touch on. It's almost like what you described. It's like a dating service. Like a friend of mine is looking into this really high-end dating service. It's like $7,500. And they literally go out in the city you live in and scour the public um, for the perfect match. And they, you know, a dossier is exactly a great way to describe Mm -hmm. it. And you write like exactly what you're looking for in terms of your entire lifestyle and your value system. And they find you really good matches. And it sounds like that's sort of a similar kind of system. And I've always looked at that arranged marriage thing as being something that's so, I don't know, it's just like, where's the the individual sovereignty of that person and their will and their desires, you know, but it actually sounds kind of smart now that it's framed in that way. Because, like you said, the chemistry and the pheromones and all the things that turn human beings into fucking idiots when it comes to selecting a mate, by and large, is sort of taken out and you really look at the reality. So do you know anything about the success rate of countries such as India that typically have an arranged marriage system? In India, it's very high. There's a lot of different reasons for that. It's because there's also a big stigma against divorce. It's going down, but the stigma is still there. Um, But... Beyond the success rate, and I talk about this a lot towards the end of the book, how do we measure the success of a marriage? So my parents were married for 40 years, and they hated each other, and they were miserable. But they thought it was a successful marriage because they stuck it out. They stayed together. They did it. So do we measure success in terms of longevity, or do we measure it in terms of happiness? In India, satisfaction rates tend to be incredibly high. In different tribal cultures, uh, like Africa, where they're still living in a very rural society, there's less measurement of it. But I think because the expectations tend to be differently, the satisfaction is also much higher. And the roles of husband and wife are also so skewed, and the expectations are so skewed in America of what we expect out of a marriage. So the roles of husband and wife in these in tribal cultures, and then also in places where marriages are arranged, are typically much more preordained. So you know what you're going to get out of a husband. You know what you're going to get out of a wife. You don't expect them to be your shrink, your workout partner, the greatest lover of all time, the person that tells you you look amazing in your skinny jeans. You don't expect them to be your absolute everything. You just expect them to be your husband. And I think that that makes people a lot happier with their union when you know what you're getting and you don't expect them to do all of the things all the time. Right. Because isn't that one of the, I think one of the deleterious preconceived ideas that we have is that, or maybe it's just me, but like, I want to find another me, but that has a vagina. Yeah. Yeah. Or you're you're constantly searching. I want someone that's exactly like me, likes all the stuff that I like. And it's like, how realistic is that in terms of having an expectation? Not very. Not very. 
that no. diversity in preferences and person, like you're an introvert and Nick's an extrovert and like having that diversity is what actually creates the polarity and keeps it fun and interesting and not dull. I mean, who wants to be with a mirror of themselves except maybe someone who's extremely narcissistic, which I'm going to look into. <laughs> um, so what about France? Because you went to France and mm-hmm. talked about how, and this was probably true, I'm assuming, of some other European countries about the idea of open marriage. How's that working out for people? As someone who's experimented a lot with different types of arrangements and relationships and have come to a place where I'm really not interested in trying to pursue that type of arrangement, how's that working out? It just seems really difficult. It seems hard. I France was another place where I had my preconceived notions blown out of the water. I assumed that everyone had a mistress or everyone was just very laissez-faire about all their affairs because they do, and they do have this attitude that they're a little bit more lenient about other people's affairs. I mean, most of the women that I talked to were like, no, no, no. I would not allow my man to cheat on me. I would not cheat on my man. It's so much more interesting for me to want to fuck other people and to keep myself from fucking other people was the way they put it. Because and when they say fuck, they just sound they sound so sophisticated and so wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And it's and you not look so at, vulgar as it's our not, It's person. not vulgar at all. And you look at them and you're like, God, I wish I could smoke a cigarette and look as cool as you do. <laughs> um, but I can't. But yeah, so while they're a little bit more lax and they're more lenient about the idea of marriage too. And it was that was the case in most of Europe, that they're like, maybe we'll get married, maybe we'll just be partners for a long time, and that's okay. They didn't see marriage as this ultimate end game the way that we see it here. And I like to say that the show The Bachelor is the best example of how American culture has fucked up marriage, that we actually have a game show where someone proposes at the end of it. I mean, think about how messed up that is, that we set marriage up as the goal rather than as as something that could be just a wonderful partnership. Um, so they don't see marriage as the goal in most of the European cultures the same way that we do. That's an interesting distinction. And that's funny that you mentioned that show because the the woman I'm currently dating, that's like her favorite show and that scares me. I'm going to have to talk, talk to her about that. Just have that, have that conversation. Just bring that <laughs> That's hilarious. Bring that, no, bring that's that hilarious up. Of, of all shows that you can mention because we've recently been talking about that. I've never seen it, clearly. Um, okay, so France, open marriage kind of situation. Then what about in Kenya with polygamy? Polygamy. So again, all of my preconceived notions, and I I like it when my preconceived notions are blown out of the water. It's way more fun, right? Like if you went in somewhere and you're like, I am right about everything. Like that would suck. That would be totally boring. But um, with polygamy, I thought that it was going to be incredibly anti-feminist, incredibly upsetting to be a woman and have to compete with other women for your husband's affection. I couldn't imagine it. I was a little bit horrified by it. And look, there are, there are a lot of issues surrounding polygamy. There are times when much older men end up marrying much younger women. There's, there's issues that we mention briefly in the book and say we did not have enough time to get into them. There's, there's things in these cultures that are very hard. What we're trying to do is take away the things that are successful, the, thing, the things that are positive. And what the women were telling me is that First off, the thing that most Americans don't realize is that it's the first wife who asks for a second wife. The first wife says, you know, there's a lot of work to do. Our farm is growing. We have a lot more cattle. We have a lot more goats now. We need to build another house. We have a lot of kids. You're working a lot. And I think that we need 
another wife to help divide up all of this labor <laughs> that I wow. have to do. And it's this a division of labor. And then there was this sense of, and I hate to keep going back to the community aspect, but it's one of the biggest takeaways from the book. There's a sense of camaraderie and community with the women that they take care of each other. They help each other. They do each other's work. They help raise each other's children. And in a way, it's as if take the sex completely out of it. Um, the women are married to each other more than they're married to the man. That relationship is even stronger among the wives than it is among the husbands and the wives. Wow, that's really interesting. So to sort of draw a distinction between the idea of an open marriage and that very like chic and free European or French way and polygamy, it's almost like in the open marriage or I'm picturing like you know, what do they call that when like the mafioso Italian guy has his wife and then what is it like the Goomba or whatever what do they call that? His you know, Gamora? Like his his like, Gamora? Yeah, I forget, yeah, I forget like the word. I'm Italian. I should remember it. I forget the word I'm for I'm thinking it. of Tony Soprano, you know, yeah. he's got like his, his side piece, yeah. you know, and the wife kind of knows and she puts up with it because she knows he's never going to fall in love with this young dingbat girl, right? Mm-hmm. But that's more of like the open marriage where it's like maybe a don't ask, don't tell and just a fling every once in a while on the side by the man or the woman where in polygamy, there's actually ongoing multiple relationships Mm -hmm. happening where you're cohabitating and it's all out in the open and everyone knows what's going on. And there's, like you said, in some cases, I guess, uh, a sense of support and community and even like a larger family. It's just, it's so hard to imagine after having been someone that's attempted a few of these arrangements and had it not go well, because it's just like you're playing with such volatile human instincts I mean, you have to be really fucking evolved to not get caught up in jealousy and possessiveness and weird shit like that. Totally. But I I also think that, again, it's our Americanness that harms us there because we have these notions of soulmate, of the one, and that inherently creates more jealousy in a situation. It's like, can can that person be soulmates with two people? Um, And we also have such weird hangups about sex and intimacy that you don't see in other cultures. I mean, we praise sex and good sex as one of the most important things in a marriage. And I think it's really, really important. But I don't think it's one of the most important things in a marriage. And we praise it as one of the most important things in a relationship, too. And so, therefore, if someone is having sex with someone else, then they're giving away some of that intimacy, giving away some of that power. And then we we do bring in these ideas of jealousy, I think in a much more destructive way than you see in places around the world. And I'm not saying other places, nowhere else has perfect marriage. Marriage is imperfect and confusing and messy and hard everywhere around the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. And But there are some places that do it a little better. And there are... There's definitely things you can pull and little threads that you can bring in from every single culture of ways to make marriage better. And I do, one of my ultimate theses, and I'm working on an op-ed about this right now, is that America just fails marriage. That our culture and our government systems, the way they're set up, are not set up to help us have happy and successful and meaningful, fulfilling marriages. Well, that's that's funny because you know I have my little list of questions. People on YouTube always see my eyes like darting over there, and sometimes I follow them, sometimes I don't. But I make sure that if there's really important ones, and the next one actually up here was, is the Western model 
and the expectation we have of marriage realistic, you know, specifically being the, you know, the vows till death do us part. I mean, it's like, I don't care how much I love someone. I'm aware enough as a sentient being to know that everything's always in flux and that I've had so many relationships, romantic and otherwise, that were so meaningful and profound and they were catalysts for change and were just like, had such a large impact on me, positively or negatively. But even in the end, they're all positive because it's all part of your growth and evolution that how can you really know when you meet someone, even if they are your soulmate, that it's supposed to be that way until you're 105. It's just like, we're going to be together as long as it serves both of our evolution. And there's some sort of karmic lessons and and evolution that's supposed to take place. But who's to say? I mean, who came up with that? And is it is a realistic expectation? How about like well, a vow could be, we're going to stay together as long as we're both happy. <laughs> Well, till, yeah. till death do us part is really something that came along in earnest in like around the Renaissance, around the 14th century, when people died at 40. Okay, when okay. you were only, All right. All right. And, and, it, and it made sense um, to say, because a marriage back then was more of a partnership, more of an alliance. My family is marrying your family. I am marrying you because you will be a good provider. To say, great, we have this alliance in place until one of us dies, and we'll probably die within 10 years. 10, 20 years. I mean, it was not created for a marriage that's going to last 50 or 60 years. And some marriages do and good on them for being able to make that work. But I don't think you should have to necessarily make it work. Like you said, people evolve, people change, your life evolves. I was in Denmark and talking to this woman who had gotten divorced and she celebrated her divorce anniversary with her ex-husband who then came to her house with her new husband and they all sat down and they had a great dinner and they talked about the wonderful things that the first marriage had brought them and how they had changed and evolved and become a better person and they did this every single year and there's just less of a stigma attached to the concept of divorce and ending a marriage in a lot of the northern European cultures where they also have a much, much more relaxed attitude about getting married in general. They don't see the divorce as a failure per se, they see it as just a point where you decided to move on in a different direction from your spouse. And I think when you don't set up the end of a marriage as that kind of failure, then you're also putting less pressure on the marriage. So I wouldn't even say that the Western notion of marriage is wrong or outdated. I would say it's the American notion. I think the Americans right. have so many hangups. I'm so, I keep shifting position because my belly is so big right now that I just move no, okay. air around all the I, time. I, I do it constantly because my back hurts. Yeah. But yeah, I think that the American system and ideas around marriage are really toxic to a marriage. And I'm seeing a lot, I'm 36 now, and I'm seeing a lot of my friends go through their first divorce. Um, and it's the worst thing that's ever happened to them in their entire lives. And it's also because we have no social safety net to take care of people after a divorce. So there's so many money issues tied up in a marriage and in a divorce. It's like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen to my health care? What's going to happen to right. my, my income that you fight over the money? And then, of course, you hate the person when it's over. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that is so terrifying for a lot of people about marriage is the financial piece. It's like, if it doesn't work out and I get a broken heart, that's one thing. But if we are both earning money and kicking ass in the world for the next 15 years and buy an amazing house and then like it ends and all my shit gets taken away, like that's not fun. So how do, how do people in other cultures deal with the possible demise of the marriage and a prenuptial agreement or something like that, that 
that takes the financial catastrophe out of the separation. Well, there's so many less prenuptial agreements too, and it's just more common sense and equitable distribution of what went into the marriage. And again, I think there's just less fear because you know that there is that government safety net there. You're not dependent on your spouse for your health care. You know that if something goes wrong, you will be taken care of, at least to a certain extent. Making the marriage a lot less about dependence, making the marriage a lot less about money. They don't come into it being worrying as much about what we've accumulated. And they just, they tend to have, you can get divorced online in some of the Northern European countries for like the equivalent of a hundred American dollars. There's not this legal, whole legal system set up around what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours and dividing these assets and I'm going to take you for all that you're worth. Right, right. Divorce is like, I was going to say a cottage industry in this country, but that's not even true. It's actually like a multi-billion dollar industry in and of itself in terms of the legal system, right? Exactly, exactly. And I just think that when you have a more relaxed attitude about the marriage and about the end of the marriage, you don't have such a shit storm when a marriage happens to end. And I'm not saying that there are not people that are incredibly upset if their husband cheats on them or their wife cheats on them and the marriage goes south. Like, those are bad things. You have bad you have bad marriages ending badly all over the world. But at the same point, I just think that we have this different attitude around the success of a marriage that we have to let go. In order to just enjoy the marriage, and we talked about this briefly already, to just be present and enjoy the marriage every day. To stop thinking about what the next step is. And that was that was the other big thing. We're constantly you know, we see the marriage as like the happy, happily ever after, but then it's like, you have to buy the house, you have to have the kids, you have to do this, you have to do that. And instead, just enjoy being together. And that was the greatest thing about getting to travel around with my husband for the first year of our marriage, that we just got to enjoy it. Yeah, that's, that's actually really sage advice and something that I'm going to take to heart right now because it's, I don't know, just the way that I am, I'm like, cool, we're happy today, but what if, what if, what if, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, and I heard that from someone recently, like, can't we just get to know each other and have fun without like freaking out about the what ifs for a minute? I was like, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, let's, let's do that. So what, what do you think in terms of your, your travels in that time were some of the weirdest customs that you encountered? that you were just like, wait, how does this possibly work? I mean, we've talked about arranged marriage, some of these other things. Was there anything else that stood out to you as like super bizarre coming from your Western American perspective? Well, so when I was in India researching arranged marriage, I ended up finding out about this tribe in the northeastern corner of the country that's matrilineal. So where the women have the power, the women have the money, the family name is passed down through the women. And I was like, wow, this is going to be an awesome utopia of wonderfulness. (laughs) And in a lot of ways, it was. It was magical. It's a string of villages along the border of India and Bangladesh. And the name has been passed down through the women. The inheritance gets passed to the youngest daughter, which doesn't make sense at first. You're like, why not the oldest? And it's because the youngest daughter will be around to take care of her parents and siblings longest. So she'll be the one to see all of them go first, and she'll always be there. It makes a lot of sense. Wow, Um, wow. But the bummer is that this system has worked for hundreds and hundreds of years, and that since the internet and satellite television have really caught on, the men are realizing that in other parts of the world, they could have more power, and they could have more control, and they're leaving. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's funny. They're like, wait, what? Wait, what? What's going on yeah. here? They're like, what? They're like, I in other parts of the world, the man doesn't have to move into his mother-in-law's house. I don't understand this. And so it's interesting. I expected this lovely utopia run by women. And there's this big struggle between men and women. There's still a struggle between men and women when it comes to power. Power and equality, yeah. which is another and equality in a marriage was a really important thing for me. Right. I'm a feminist. I want yeah. us to have this 50 50 equal split. And what I realize is that that's just fucking impossible, that it, the equality in a marriage is an ebb and a flow and figuring out what works for you in a given moment. And that could be 90 10 or it could be 20 80. Well, that brings me into the next part of the conversation that I totally wanted to cover because this is, I mean, you can't talk about a relationship without talking about this, whether it's even straight or gay or any kind of relationship is the polarity Mm -hmm. between the masculine and the feminine, right? And so how can you be equals as spirits, as souls, as human beings, be mutually cherished and respected and all of that, but someone at any given moment has to kind of lead? Yeah, you know, Absolutely. and so it's like there's a quote in your book from one of the people that um, one of the women that you're talking to, and and I wrote this down because it was so good. And I really I really think this would work. I want to see if you agree with me on this, but she told you let the man lead, let him think he's in charge. If you decide to allow it, then you are the one in charge. Yeah. And as a guy who you know, I mean, I have a hard time being like the passive feminine like follower energy in a relationship. But just I, I was that way when I was young because I was, I don't know, very artistic and emotional and like creative. And I just was much more identified with that feminine energy. And it was just like any relationship I was in, they turned into a mother figure and I resented them. I did not want to have sex with them. They hated me because I was like a little boy. I mean, it was just disgusting for me. It did not work to be like, I don't know, the passive one in the relationship. But it's also a lot of responsibility to be the one who's always accountable, always taking charge, always making sure shit happens. It's actually a relief sometimes to have a female partner that <laughs> you know, has some power and some say and is supportive in that way. Mm-hmm. So you're not like out there alone. I mean, I think this is why men die younger, you know? It's I like, agree. dude, you know, so it's like, but I like how she's like, just let him think he's in charge. And I even noticed that in my relationships. I'm like, I know that they're kind of in charge a lot of the time. But as long as I think I'm the one running shit, my ego is satisfied with that. And I, I don't feel like I'm losing a sense of self or my masculinity or my manhood. It's like we have such a fragile ego, us males. And so how do you empower the male to be his best self, but also still have your rights and your say and your power as a woman. I think, and that was, I mean, I don't even know if that's a question. (laughs) It's like a long diatribe. It's a long diatribe. I'm just going to jump in there. It's such an important part because it's like, I mean, I was raised by an ardent feminist who grew up in Berkeley in the sixties. I mean, I was like deballed from the time I was born, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I've had to like grow a pair as an adult and find that balance where I'm not a misogynistic like asshole, but I'm also not like a spineless wimp that just goes along with everything. Like I can handle shit and women that I've been in relationships with seem to really appreciate that and feel safe and secure in that. So how, you know, where does feminism and this whole kind of belief system fit in to a relationship where there is a balance of power and one person is leading at any given moment? I think that you have to take turns who leads. And this was a big issue going into into our marriage. And so we talked a lot about it when we were in Chile, which was a trip we took two weeks before 
we got married. We went down, we were in Portillo, we were in the Atacama, and we were trying to learn how to dance together. And we did that because I don't know how to dance and let a man lead. Because I've led my entire life, and I think I happen to have a lot of masculine energy just generally. Like, I like to control situations. I like to handle things. But my husband also likes to control things and plan things and handle things. And I had to learn when to pull back a little bit and let him do that. Because let's be honest, there is a difference between men and women. There is a difference between masculine and feminine energy. And frankly, most men do want to take the lead or feel like they're taking the lead in a lot of situations. And when you're in this marriage, in this long-term partnership, you have to start to sense, okay, it's time to let the other person be in the driver's seat. And exactly like you said, sometimes that's just really nice. Like, I don't feel like I gave up any of my feminism or my power by saying, you know what, you take control this time. It was really hard for me to get to that place, but it's nice. And I also think that there's something in the fact that men do want to feel like they're taking care of women. And it's, I have a lot of girlfriends who are these wonderfully powerful career women who've always made more than men. And the guys that they're dating cut their balls off and just stuck them in their purse. Um, and I think that's why they've had very unsuccessful relationships. <laughs> that I, was my question. Are those women in, uh, no, that you're speaking of, are they single. happy and satisfied? No, they're still single and they're not happy and satisfied. And yeah. I, I think that you have to find this ebb and flow between being, and for the, for the man too, uh, but being the one who's sometimes submissive and then being the one who's in control and figuring out what works for your particular relationship. And it's going to change too. And it was, it was really hard for me when I stopped you know, earning this big income and all of a sudden I was dependent on my husband's income. It was this whole crisis of self for me. But at the same time, I think it felt good for him to feel like he could take care of me in like a psychological and physical sense. Let's take a moment for a brief intermission to tell you an exciting announcement at LukeStory.com. I now have a store. It's called The Master Market, and you can find that at LukeStory.com forward slash store. This is a one-page hub categorized into all of my favorite recommendations. So whether it be a spiritual book, smart drugs to improve your focus, some supplements, the best drinking water, how to optimize your bedroom, your sleep, travel, jet lag, biohacking technology, healthy cookware everything you need to improve your life based on my 20 years of research. So you're not going to have to go out there and find the best stuff on your own. I've put it all at lukestory.com forward slash store. Now here's what's cool about it. When you go to my market, I don't actually sell anything. I just provide links to all of my favorite stuff. What's rad for you though, is that you're going to get a discount on most of those products from between five and 20%, which is awesome. So you'll find things on my site. They're going to link out to the master site of whoever it is that sells that stuff. You enter a code and get a discount. So that's where you win. The brand wins because you find them and you become a customer of that brand. I win because I have affiliate uh, relationships with those brands and get a small commission for every purchase. So it's a great three-way win. You win with a discount, the brand wins with the sale, and I win with some support for the podcast. So I don't have to pay for this whole damn thing myself. So again, go to lukestory.com forward slash store to enjoy the master market. And please keep checking back and bookmark that page on my site because I'm going to be adding products to it every week as I make new discoveries and also just input old stuff that I've known about forever. So check it out. Dude, it's it's hard to explain, you know, if you are not a man, like how good it feels to be able to show up for a woman. 
Yeah. And, you know, it's like, I know there's no saber tooth tiger coming. And if there was, he would eat me and I couldn't protect a woman really probably from that tiger. But it's like, I mean, just simple things like, uh, to me, a smart woman will be like, honey, will you open this jar of salsa? I can't open it. And I'm like, I've even caught one. I'm like, yes, you can. They're like, hee, hee, hee. Sometimes sometimes I don't want to. Sometimes I don't want to open that salsa and I just want you to do it. Yeah, exactly. It's nice. But it's just, I think this is what, like, if you look at, you know, men in the military and firemen and police and, you know, guys that just like handle shit, it's like, and even just guys that do construction, like guys that are builders and protectors and the really heroic male figures in our culture, well, in humanity, not just our culture, it's like they do that for women and children, you know? And I feel like that feminine energy for me brings out like the best possible me that there is. It's such a good feeling to be able to really show up for someone and create space and just be stable and have integrity and allow that feminine energy to just swirl around and be crazy sometimes and not freak out about it and be reactive and just hold that space. It's like such a grounding feeling to be able to do that. And I think recognizing that and then also having conversations around it, right? So being really there honest. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being really honest about it and you know, talking about it, putting it all out on the table in the very beginning, like we, we're planning, and we have to talk about it a lot more now because we're figuring out who's going to take care of our kid. And the plan is to kind of trade off as much as we possibly can, which is the model that they use in Sweden and Finland and Norway, where dads actually get government-funded paternity leave, where the wow. government the government's Damn. paying eighty percent of the mom's or the dad's salary. You get bonus months if the dad's actually the one taking it because they believe that. Equality actually makes a marriage better. The government believes that. And they want wow. to help foster that, which is just an amazing thing. So having that conversation about how are, how are we going to do this, um, how does it make you feel? And Nick and I have this conversation in the book. Does it make you feel good when you can take care of me? And that was a hard thing for me to let go of and for me to realize. And yeah. that's also why I say to people, I'm like, just read the book and then have the conversation with your spouse. And talk about that. How does that make you feel? Because so many people go through a decade of marriage and never have this conversation about gender roles because they don't want to bring it up. It seems icky. But just talk about it. Why not? Dude, it's it's crucial because the culture that we live in now, a lot of the roles have become reversed. And, you know, it's like I watch the media and it's like guys are constantly made fun of and put down and like guys are idiots. And so many men are just emasculated and Mm kind of we don't know where we're supposed to fit. We're not like some you know, like chauvinist jerk and are going to like put women down or abuse them or be mean to them or don't think they're equal or any of that. But at the same time, we don't want to be like the spineless, like holding the purse guy either. You know, it's like guys don't know how to act because if you show up and you have balls and you like handle shit, then you're a jerk. But if you don't do that, then you're a wimp and you get, they walk all over you. It's like so many guys are just confused. And I I really think you nailed it is what it is, is it's, it's in the communication where there's an open dialogue about that. Because I'll have a conversation with a woman. I'm like, God, it feels so good just to like help a woman feel secure and you know use the word, quote unquote, doing air quotes, protect them. And mm-hmm. almost all women in this culture be like, I don't need a man to protect me. I make my own money. I do this and that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. But can we just pretend like you do? Because it makes me feel so good. Yeah. You know, to think that I'm doing that, it goes back to the the woman that told you just like let the guy think he's in control, yeah. and then you're really like running shit. You know, it's like it's such a service to a man being a man to just like let me just have the feeling that I'm 
protecting and taking care of, protecting and serving, because it's such a fulfilling thing. Exactly, you know, and to, it's, to keep a to keep a kid safe, or open the door for someone, or help someone in need, or like I mean, literally walking the little old lady across the street. If the little old lady's like, "I got it, leave me alone," you're like, "Oh, it crushes you because it's like, like I just want to help." Yeah, you want to be you want to be that guy. So, so thank you for the bringing the communication into it because I think a lot of us are very confused about what the roles are, and we're gonna we're gonna overshoot the mark. Either way, whether you're like this ball-busting career woman and you don't need a man and then you end up alone with no kids and really depressed, or you're a guy who is like Mr. Macho and doesn't know how to like access his feminine and really be nurturing to a relationship and to a woman and know when to kind of back down a little bit and let the woman lead for a minute and to have that ebb and flow as you described. If you don't have tools to talk about that, it's not going to go well. So yeah. in, so in terms of communication... There's one in your book that I really like. It's the five-minute exercise. Yes. So if you could if you could take us through that, and then also just some other communication tools that you that you found in the process of writing the book, or just that you've encountered in your relationship so far. Yeah. So the five minutes we um we went to a marriage counselor slash spiritual guru in the jungles of Mexico when we were on our honeymoon in Tulum. Bobby Klein, he's had this crazy mixed up career from rock and roll photographer for The Doors to health food restaurant owner to marriage counselor slash spiritual guru in the jungle. And he's great. He's, he's one of those magical humans that you meet and you're like, wow, like you get it, man. This is awesome. And he introduced this thing called the five minutes. And for what it is, is that for 10 minutes every day, you split five minutes in between you. You just sit and listen to the other person talk. And the other person talks for five minutes. They can babble on. They can talk about what they dreamt, what they ate during the day, or they can bring up things that are bothering them. But the other person has to listen, not react, and not comment for five whole minutes. And it's way more of an exercise in listening than it is an exercise in talking. It's an exercise in learning how how to hear the other person and Anything that's brought up in the five minutes, you can't then bring up later in a fight. Be like, oh, you brought, you brought this up. You can't bring anything up that's longer, that's older than three weeks old because then you're bringing, <laughs> right, right. Then you're bringing up part. things yeah, yeah. that rot a marriage. Um, and you shouldn't ever be talking about issues that are over three weeks old because then what Bobby said, he's like, why did you let it wait for three weeks? Like, that's the point. And that's, one of, that's the best communication advice that we got. It's talk about things right away. Why are you letting them fester? Why aren't you just getting it all out there the second that it bothers you? So it's the, it's the talking about the things that make you feel weird and strange and funny as soon as they happen, just to clear the air. Because those, those are the things, those are the issues that end up rotting a marriage. And then figuring out how, how to really listen to the other person and be really present. I mean, one of the biggest things for us has been limiting the amount of time we spend around each other with our screens in front of us. Ooh, yeah. And when we were in Denmark, they have this thing that all Americans are talking about now, huga, which is the Danish sense of coziness and happiness and creating cozy, happy relationships and a cozy, happy home. And one of their biggest things is to put your goddamn phone away that it's one of the most deleterious things to a relationship. It means you're only half present, half listening, half paying attention to the words that are coming out of your own mouth at any given time. And 
we're so cognizant of that, of when we're sitting down to dinner, we're sitting down to dinner, no more phones, no computer screens in bed. When we're together, we're together. And it, it makes communication better. It makes quality time, actual quality time. And I think it, it's going to be a, a big touchstone for our family going forward. You just scared the shit out of me. <laughs> You're so right, because I had a relationship in which I, I, I was the perpetrator of the like using my devices as an intimacy block, mm-hmm. you know? And you don't even and realize that it's happening a lot of times. I mean, we're, just, no. we're so used to it. Like, and, and I was the one that had to break it because I'm like, I'm at dinner and I'm Instagramming my food and I'm tweeting yeah. it. And, and the Danes were like, put it away. Well, this is the excuse that I would use because I'm like, you know, I have this fashion school and now I do this podcast. It's like, well, I have to be on my phone because I have to document everything I'm doing. Yeah, you, know, you see, I'm so true? important and there's so many people yeah. that are interested. I'm you like, know, I'm not. a journalist. If I don't tweet and they're like, yeah, exactly, bullshit. Exactly. You know, no one is waiting for your next tweet. You're not Beyonce. Ah, oh, man, that's such good advice because there's a million excuses why you need to do it, especially if it's part of your work and mm-hmm. your marketing and all that stuff. But I know for me, if I'm really, really honest and on my show, I always make an effort to just be transparent because I'm not like the expert that's arrived somewhere telling the audience how to do shit. I'm on the journey with them. And some of them, sure, light years ahead of me in some areas. But I'm really afraid of intimacy. And so to be stripped of like Netflix, my phone, gadgets, books, anything, and just have to sit with someone and just be there in that space with them is at times terrifying. It is. Well, and I think that that's why... In addition to being a memoir, this book is a travel book, right? Like we chose to travel and you're forced to get rid of a lot of those things when you travel and have actual real conversations and real intimacy and get into and out of situations that are difficult and also wildly rewarding beyond your wildest dreams. So I think travel is a really great way to move a relationship forwards in a lot of ways because you are stripped of all of your devices in so many of the situations and and you're forced to confront the other person just as they are. Absolutely. So as we come to wrap up the conversation here, what's next for you? What do you have going on in your marriage, life, work? What's, What's new and exciting that you want to share with us at this point? Um, well, we've got to get this baby out of me right. um, in June. So we have, we have that coming up. I have another novel called Fitness Junkie coming out in July. Which, Ooh, wow. What's that about? Um, it's a satire of the crazy health, wellness, and fitness industry. Um, oh, amazing. You're going to take the piss out of my yeah. entire brand. That's awesome. Yeah, of, of, every, of everyone's personal brand, really. I mean, it's, it's $50 juices and rock star shamans and ayahuasca ceremonies. And it's, it's great. It's really good. And so that's, that's being released in July. And then I'm working on a new novel that's a political satire that will be out next summer. So there's a lot, wow. there's a lot out there right now. You're being very prolific at the moment. I will, you know, I figure I, I, I have a lot to get done before I become someone's mom. So. Yeah, that's awesome. And so that's well, that's perfect timing on the release of your book with the release of this podcast because it'll be around the same time. So that's really, really good. And uh, geez, okay, God, I've, there's so many things I wanted to ask you, but I think we've actually like covered it. I'll go ahead and ask you my closing question yeah. then. So you've taught me tons today. You've taught our audience a bunch of great stuff. Who have been three teachers or teachings that have influenced you in your life? Oh, that's really interesting. So... Um, my favorite writer, completely discounting his personal life and his messed up marriage, 
um, is F. Scott Fitzgerald. And I think that he's the person who, who really made me a better writer. Um, I'd say that Bobby Klein, the marriage guru, spiritual guru in our book, and he was the person that right off the bat, like on our honeymoon, told Nick and I that we, that we had to be communicating, that we had to, had to figure out how to really talk and listen in order for this weird marriage thing to work for us. And then I'd say my mom, because she's just, she's the most patient person I've ever met in my life. And I'm not patient. Um, and it's this quality and attribute that I, I desperately want to try to cultivate. Uh, and it's the one thing that I, I think that I'm constantly working on. Awesome. Thank you for those three. Well, definitely the two of them we can look up and put in the show notes and your mom's just going to remain your special one. Yeah. Well, and you can Facebook her if you want, because she loves, right, cool. she loves Facebook. And so right. she would happily talk to you about anything. And it would mean that she would probably text me five times less a day, which would wouldn't be... That, wouldn't that be amazing if like your mom becomes like sort of like famous on the sidelines of the show? Yeah, <laughs> that'd be great. Enjoy, and she'd enjoy your it. interview so much, she's going to start getting inundated with all these friend requests. Tracy Piazza, she's on Facebook. That's awesome. All right. And so where can we find website, social media, all that kind of stuff? What do you want to drop on us? Um, so Nick and I actually created a website for How to Be Married. And one of, one of the goals of How to Be Married is to... Talk about marriage, to talk about it openly and honestly. So it's howtobemarried.us, uh, which we thought was kind of cute. Dot US. It is. It is. Um, and the book is available on Amazon, on anywhere that books are sold. I know that we're going to be on the front table of Barnes & Noble for most, nice. of, most of April. Um, so And ask your local bookstore for it, because local independent bookstores love to be told what to order, and they get very excited. So if they don't stock it, ask them to stock How to Be Married. That's wonderful. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been like a really, really fun conversation. I can't wait to put this one out and I can't wait for people to experience your book, which is informative and hilarious and just a super fun ride. So thanks for joining me and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks for having me. This has been great. Now's the time in the show when I take a moment to thank you, the listener, for joining me. My name is again Luke Story. Our guest was Joe Piazza. Thank you for catching part two. If you just stumbled across this episode, I want to encourage you to travel back into the feed and catch part one to contextualize this whole interview. Really good information given. If you're planning on marrying someone soon, or if you're already married and you'd like it to last, why don't you give this to your partner to listen to? Just saying, probably a good idea. If you've got a buddy that's getting engaged, do them and their future wife a favor and drop this episode onto their eardrums. Thanks again so much for joining me, and I can't wait to bring you another episode next Tuesday. Did you dig that episode or what? I know I did. Well, check it out. If you want them to keep coming every week and ensure that the quality not only remains the same, but continues to improve, you can go to lukestory.com forward slash support and offer a small one-time or even a monthly pledge to help fund this podcast. Again, go to lukestory.com forward slash support. Anything you can contribute would be greatly appreciated. 